This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3467 for Tuesday the 16th of November 2021. Today's show is entitled, Proton Mail in the Terminal. It is the first show by new host DNT, and is about 38 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, one way of doing Proton Mail in the Terminal. This is DNT. Um, this episode is um, a response to 3431 by Black Colonel, the one called Living in the Terminal, uh, because he talked about doing um, his email in the terminal and being a Proton Mail user. So um, after some, after a little while, I did find a way to do it that's working out okay for me. So. I thought I'd make this uh, first episode that I'm posting about um, about how I'm doing that. So here's the here are the applications I use in the terminal in combination to read and send emails. So uh, first of all, of course, Proton Mail Bridge uh, that is run in Tmux. Then for syncing, um, I use um, iSync whose command is actually mvsync. You can also use offline imap, which is an, uh, written in Black Kernel's uh, favorite language, Python. Uh, then next, the not much application is what um, tags and searches emails. It uses some other application um, for the actual indexing of the emails themselves. Um, but not much itself is more about the tagging of the emails. Um, then a few is an application for moving, moving around um, email files. And then uh, it's got like some filters that are run um, automatically. Uh, I mean, you can run them on the command line, but I, I just have them run as hooks um, in not much and in this um, script that I run to update uh, everything, to sync everything. Then a lot is the actual um, mail user agent, so to speak. Um, that's the one where you read your emails and where you send emails. And you can also do other operations like tag stuff. Um, and of course do not much searches as well. So it's like a front end for not much, which is usually otherwise run only on the command line. So, and then MSMTP is what sends the uh, messages and W3M is the text-based browser that actually reads HTML emails and shows them in a decent readable form in, in, the, in a lot. You can use whatever other command you you choose. It it, it works um, via mail cap, so uh, you just put a mail cap entry, and uh, I'll show you later. I've got um, this um, function, like a shell function, that's in the zshrc file um, that um, tells it to open a lot uh, after populating the mail cap file with the command I want, depending if I want to open my HTML emails in 
uh, well, all the emails actually in, in an actual browser, in my case, Qt browser usually, or in the text browser W3M. So next, um, three shell functions that I put in my RC file. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned from the episode from Black Kernel is I didn't realize that you could just define a function in your RC file and then just call it from your shell like it's a like it's a command. Um, so I have a bunch of I have a folder full of scripts that I maintain uh, for you know part of my my shell environment basically. And uh, so now I see that I could just put them in. There are several of them that would make sense to, instead of have them as actual scripts, um, just have them in the RC file, much simpler. And also another thing that I liked is that you can type which and then the command. Uh, and whereas normally it'll tell you the path to the, the, to the script, um, if it's a function in your RC file, it'll just print out the whole function, which I think is way better. Anyway, so for a little while I was using Moo4e in Emacs. That's um, Moo is the name of the application, and Moo4e is like the Emacs module to use it. And it's not bad, but it looks like in, in Arch Linux, um, it means you have to get Moo from the um, Arch user repository. Um, and then also in the Doom Emacs. I use Doom Emacs. Uh, it's a uh, Emacs um, configuration um, and um, it seems like they're always changing their email module and a few times it stopped working on my computer so and also it just wasn't that great uh, and I kind of wanted to move the email out of Emacs just to um, not do so much in Emacs you know though Emacs is the editor that does everything else that uh, edits text and also does everything else doesn't mean you want to do everything else in it. So anyway, I got tired of that and started looking for a way to just do email in the terminal in just the simplest way I could find. So this was it. Uh, it wasn't simple to set it up, but it's been simple to use. So of course, everyone's heard of MUT, um, but for me, so far the initial onboarding for that has been a little too much, you know, setting up that configuration file and um, also like much of email, um, you know, it's it's like email applications in the terminal specifically, certainly in the terminal, uh, they really reflect how fragmented and messed up email is. Uh, you 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 know even even mut you use there's like mut dash not much to use not much um, searches as virtual folders in MUT. So um, yeah, it seems like everything is actually using like three other things in the background. And so yeah, like like I listed here, I'm using nine different, uh, eight different applications to just read my damn emails. That's how crazy that is. But anyway, um, the way I finally got it set up works okay and, and I'm liking it. So. Anyway, so I don't doubt that one day I will move to MUT, perhaps, but so far this is working pretty well. Um, mainly the, the drawback of what I'm doing is that um, not much and um, a lot, they kind of by default, they don't really care where your um, messages are. 
and there's not really an easy way to move messages from one directory to another. Um, not much kind of wants to just treat all your all your emails, all your directories, everything in all of your mail directories. Um, they just want to treat it as one thing, um, as just one big repository. And I kind of like that too. I actually keep uh, um, my local folder of mail uh, is just one folder and then I just have tags in it. The way you can overcome that is with the application a few, which can automatically run queries, uh, not much queries, in certain folders and then move the uh, return files to another folder. You can define those rules per folder and we'll go through the ones I've uh, made. So moving on, the mail user agent is a lot, which has a terminal-based interface, it relies primarily on not much to find messages to show you. You can choose your own send mail, editor, and address book commands. I use MSMTP, Vim, and Card, respectively. Uh, Card is K-H-A-R-D. So um, when you're composing a message, you can get tab completion for your contacts. Uh, it renders your plain text emails very nicely. This uh, a lot, I mean. Um, you know, it color codes everything to help you keep track of the replies and all that, the inline replies. Um, and then a quick aside about this. After, yeah, when you start, when you subscribe to some um, hacker mailing lists like this, you notice how people reply online like that. Uh, and then finally you understand what Google was trying to do with Google Wave way back when, um, which was supposed to be going to replace email entirely, right? Uh, so, yeah, this way of um, communicating via email that we see a lot of people do um, in mailing lists about, about open source projects, um, it's pretty interesting uh, replying in line like that in the middle of the other person's email. Uh, and then you are kind of collectively building this one document, it seems, um, which is kind of what Google Wave was. Anyway, moving on. So it renders your plain text emails pretty nicely. Also shows HTML email as well with W3M or your choice of a text-based browser. And it can also open them in a regular web browser if you have an accession running. Not much is for tagging and searching um, in a mail directory, which you may know is a way to store emails in which message, each message is one file. Its main subcommands um, for not much are not much tag and not much search. With tag you give it a query and some tags to add and or remove. With search you give it a query and some information about what kind of output you want. Two key things to know about not much is, like I said before, it doesn't really care where your messages are stored. You tell it where your messages are and it'll pick up everything in any subfolders and uh, any it'll just kind of treat them as one big repository. Now there are ways to query by the subfolder that the messages are in, um, but if you use it, you'll kind of understand that it's, a, it's not really what it's meant to do. Uh, it also doesn't, not much, doesn't really care about individual messages. It cares about threads. So that can sometimes be a little confusing because although the individual uh, messages can be tagged, 
um, like I mean whenever you tag a message you tag a message not the thread but if only one message in a thread has a certain tag a search for that tag will return every message in that thread so the way not much determines what thread a message belongs to is a little is also somewhat greedy um, for example I once started a reply in a lot and then I decided it was on a reply after all so I rewrote the subject line um, my sent message after that after sending the message the message was still added to that thread so I deleted and re-imported the message into not much into not much's repository um, a few times um, before I finally got it to recognize it as its own new thread not a reply to the f first thread um, and uh, I found in the end I removed information from the message headers and stuff and uh, and in the end just from the quoted text below um, it knew to add that message to that existing thread which I thought was kind of impressive but also maybe a little too greedy because normally you will have a, there's a, an entry in the headers that tells you what the original message was right um, but anyway even removing that uh, it still found the original thread alright so you might sometimes have a, a thread that contains messages that are in different mail directories and not much does not care about that it will sh show you all of them um, it, it won't show you the folder the message is in also like um, in its default um, output you can of course get the the file path as as an output which in, and then in that case you will see where the message is but um, by default it won't give you that so anyway and you can narrow your search by what's in a folder by using the uh, query folder colon the folder that it's in I wouldn't go as far as saying that the the relative disregard for folders is a downside um, in a way it's one less thing for you to be aware of you know and also folders in emails are very often not really folders they're labels right in modern uh, most things like gmail and stuff the folders aren't really folders um especially you know because the thing that shows you that they're not is because there's that stupid all mail folder um that pulls in everything so so basically the thing that i all right so about proton mail so ProtonMail honestly has been kind of a disappointment for me. I, I wish I hadn't switched to it. The only thing I like about it is the is the domain pm.me, which is very short. I like that. But uh, yeah, it has several problems, you know. Um, recently there was someone, there was a post on Hacker News about how, uh, about password managers. Um, and they basically argued that you should uh, you shouldn't use a password manager that works that's a, a browser extension, right? Because browser extensions are um, you know a security risk. Um, but also he, um, the person that wrote it, wrote um, what I found interesting was they wrote about how um, any 
any service, any hosted service that says it's end-to-end -end encrypted, um, it can basically be, um, like, since you don't control the code, you don't upgrade it yourself and all that, um, you know, some uh, a hacker or uh, some state agent could take control of the service and then um, update the, the, the code to compromise it. So, uh, sure, like your messages supposedly are uh, saved, they're encrypted with your GPG key, and you only you have the passphrase for that key. Uh, that's all great, but you know the the code could um, conceivably be changed uh, to save a copy of your messages. Once you go and decrypt it, uh, just go ahead and save a copy of them in plain text as well, because I want to look at them. Uh, you know that could conceivably happen. So. Um, in a way, that kind of means that these claims about end-to-end um, -end encryption are are kind of flawed, you know. Um, and and also we have to consider, uh, you know, in Proton Mail, I have never written a message. Uh, I mean, maybe once or twice I've messaged someone who also had a Proton Mail account. Uh, and you know, how many of us have GPG keys and um, have um, thought about the whole um, GPG encrypted email thing but have never actually communicated with in GPG encrypted email. Um, that's another thing. So I've just come to the conclusion that um, you know I, I still don't really trust the Proton Mail server. I don't really want to have my emails uh, in some server. So I always um, from time to time I always move the messages to a local folder here uh, when I don't need them anymore but I want to keep them um, I just move them and I don't keep them in the in the server because I don't need it uh, so um, so I could as well do the same thing with with a gmail account you know um, but then yeah, there are other dis disadvantages like gmail I think gets a lot more spam than other stuff like I get very little spam uh, in my Proton Mail uh, account, so and I think that's not just because it's been around for last time. I think uh, you know, I don't know, Gmail accounts I think get more spam, uh, so you rely more on the on Gmail's built-in spam filter. And um, all right, moving on. So uh, yeah, Proton Mail, the um, you know Proton Mail bridge kind of sucks and. Um, the the way they implemented um, the uh, their IMAP thing is not great. You you get your messages like say if you delete a message from a folder, um, it'll even if you delete it from the trash, um, it'll still end up in that all mail folder with no tag, which is just crazy. Um, like if you open your all mail folder in Proton Mail in the web app, um, the the folder that the messages are in are appear kind of like as if they were a tag, you know. Uh, so, but then you you have the archive folder, you have the trash folder, and inbox folder, all those things. Um, if you delete a message via IMAP from the trash or from whatever folder. Uh, then the message will will show up in your all mail folder with no little tag there, so it's like it's in no folder. It's just floating and in your um, you know it's like on the floor, I guess. 
So what is that? And so these aren't folders then, you know? So uh, the only so so then the only way to delete a message from ProtonMail is to move it to the trash, and then to go to the web app or your mobile app and empty the trash. That's really stupid. And even in Gmail, you can you can configure it to um, to you know once a message is deleted from the last IMAP folder, just delete it. You can do that and it works fine but not ProtonMail. ProtonMail, uh, you know, it keeps, it just puts it on the floor and it's there forever if you don't go and take care of it. Um, so, you know, several disadvantages there. That means you have to sync the trash folder, which otherwise you wouldn't have to, um, so that you can, via IMAP, move messages to the trash. And then later at some point you have to go on their web app or the mobile app and empty the trash. Um, so, yeah, here a quote from the article about password managers. Um, despite what your vendor says, if their network is compromised, the attacker can read your passwords. Here are some selected marketing claims from password manager vendors. No one apart from you, not even us, can, has access to your passwords. We keep your information private, secure, and hidden, even from us. Your data is secured in a way that only you can view it and manage it. Our employees can't. These claims are all nonsense. An attacker or malicious insider in control of the vendor's network can change the code that is served to your browser, and that code can obviously access your passwords. This isn't far-fetched. Altering the content of websites um, defacement is so common that it's practically a sport. The reality is that you have to trust your vendor to maintain their infrastructure and keep it safe. The existence of encryption, bank grade or not, does not alter this. Perhaps you think this isn't a big deal, you already trusted them when you installed their software. Fine, but these claims are front and center in all marketing, so vendors must believe their customers care about it. I think these claims are bending the truth to assuage legitimate concerns. Um, end quote. Yeah, the you know the writer argued that any service that stores your data and says it's end-to-end -end encrypted, if you don't control the server, at the end of the day, someone like a state actor could compel the company to release an update, which we won't hear about, and put an end to end-to-end -to -end encryption. Um, <laughs> so combined with the reality that most of our emails arrive to ProtonMail unencrypted anyway makes me seriously doubt the validity of any of these privacy-focused email services. Um, so, yeah, like I said, the reason I'm still on ProtonMail is just because I don't want to change my email address again. Um, but if I could, I would. Um, I mean, if I could pay for an email um, company that implements a very straightforward IMAP with folders, you know, no all-mail folder, and then um, uh, and you know, is it's an independent company that uh, you know that I feel confident about, or whatever um, that I could pay, I would. It would not have to have end-to-end -end encryption. Good luck finding such a service. All right, so I've got this function that's in the show notes called Sync Mail. I run it uh, from the command line. 
so first, uh, so I'll come in, I'll run uh, the alias PMB, which starts a new tmux session running the ProtonMail bridge CLI. Um, and then that will be running in tmux. And then immediately I do sync mail. And then here's what sync mail is going to do. First, it'll archive um, messages. So that means it'll take um, mails that I have tagged with the tag archive and it'll copy them to a local archive folder um, and um, uh, it'll um, I've written it to use rsync to do this um, you can have not much search um, give you the files um, with the full path separated by null characters and then you can pipe that to rsync and you can set it to read it um, as uh, with having the null character as the separator um, and you have to also give it the no capital R option which uh, is no recursive um, so so it won't copy the files with the full path it'll just copy the files alone uh, and that's important because you may have uh, files tagged with the word archive uh, in multiple different um, uh, directories and we just want to pick them up and just dump them in the archive uh, directory so for the search query obviously we'll have to do tag archive and not folder archive because I want to copy there only the the mails tagged archive that are not already in the archive folder so um, then after that it'll use a few um, to move uh, mails so uh, there's a configuration file for a few that you can put in your regular config folder that defines what are the operations you want to do. I'll read through those later. Um, and after it does this, it uh, runs MB sync to actually synchronize all the mailboxes with the IMAP folder from Proton MailBridge. And then finally it runs not much new to update the database. It just reads the mail directories and updates not much as database. Uh, and then there are also hooks that run before and after not much new. I think I only used the post uh, hook. I don't think I used the pre hook. I think I, I moved um, those operations to this command here, to this function. And likewise, I could move the, the post hook um, operations to the function as well. And that would probably be good to make it more readable. So uh, now the, a few operations that it does. Um, so you gotta have um, uh, the my config file is in the uh, show notes as well, so you can have a look there. Uh, you have a section called Mail Mover in which you define what folders we want to work on, what what folders we want to look for uh, mails to move in. Uh, so because I use MB Sync, I have to use this option Rename True. Uh, because of how MB sync works doesn't matter um, to get into it here so then then finally you have a bunch of um, the the actual operations um, that you want for each folder so so like in the folders um, uh, item I uh, listed all the mailboxes all the uh, mail directories that I want to look into uh, so PM for ProtonMail slash inbox, PM slash sent, 
PM slash mailings, which is where most of the mail I get goes. Um, it's kind of like the, you know, newsletters and things like that. Then PM slash archive and PM slash trash. And finally, Gmail slash inbox, because I also have a Gmail account. So then um, after that, I'd list PM slash inbox equals. Uh, and then you can have a series of structures like this, uh, just space separated that are uh, in single quotes, the not much query, and then colon, and the directory you want to move the resulting messages to. So for example, pm slash inbox equals um, single quote tag killed or tag archive colon pm slash trash. So um, any message that has the tag killed or the tag archive, I want to move it to um, the trash folder. And this is valid only for messages that are in the inbox folder, right? So now, obviously, tag killed, it's easy to see why I would want to move it to the trash. Um, but um, I also include tag archive because you may recall that um, at the first step of my function, I actually copied files. Um, with the tag archive to a local archive folder. So once I have a copy of that message in my local archive folder, I don't want it wherever it was in ProtonMail. So I'll move it to the trash. The reason I'll do that is because, as we know, um, if I just delete it, it'll be left on the floor. So then I have similar um, entries for the other folders in ProtonMail. And then finally, I have uh, the Gmail slash inbox. Um, I, I I don't delete it. Uh, like if I so sorry, the the query is tag killed. So if this thing finds a message in Gmail slash inbox with the tag killed, it'll move it to my local trash folder. And what that'll do is um, the message will be my trash folder where I can keep it for as long as I like. Um, and since it'll be gone from the Gmail inbox, it'll just be deleted from there. It won't be left in the all mail folder or anything like that. That's because I configured my Gmail account to uh, once uh, mail is removed from the last IMAP folder, just delete it. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So anyway, read through that configuration and um, you'll see what I'm talking about. So after the a few command, we'll do MB sync. That'll, you know, it'll push all the changes that we just made based on the tags. We'll push them all to, um, to ProtonMail and we'll pull any, any changes there. Uh, and I'll also share my um, MB sync RC file, um, which has some um, configurations there of note. Uh, specifically, I have the ProtonMail trash folder. Um, there's an option sync, and I have it as push new. So what that'll do is um, if there are new messages in the remote trash folder, I don't need them. Just just don't send them to me. Um, the sync push new option will only push new messages in the trash. So if I delete a message in the in my local trash um, 
my local copy of the proton mail trash if I delete anything um, it won't be deleted from the proton mail trash and if I uh, so so what that means basically is if I if I'm on the phone on the mobile phone and I get a message in proton mail if I just delete it if I, if I just send it to the trash in the mobile app uh, it will never be downloaded when I sync um, my uh, mails here because I've already trashed it I don't want it so that, that does that um, I think that's all actually anyway you can have a look at the the whole thing in the show notes if you want um, I also have my msmtp configuration file here which is pretty simple nothing much to talk about here um, you, you know you can set a bunch of things here um, note that all in all of my configuration files I have all the passwords uh, obtained from pass so for example in msmtp you have a, a configuration password eval and uh, you can you can just make it a, a command um, a shell command that will um, return the password so of course that would be pass space proton mail bridge uh, just to get my proton mail bridge imap password so going back so finally um, about opening messages in a lot um, so what you need is you need to populate the dot mail cap folder um, excuse me dot mail cap file in your in your home folder uh, it has to have this line that says for example text slash HTML semicolon cube browser um, uh, percentage s um, semicolon and a bunch of other stuff so what I did was I created a function in my ZSHRC file uh, that's called a lot um, and then as its first um, argument if I have the um, string dash x for x session uh, then it'll echo the the line uh, and it'll send it to the mail cap file um, it'll echo the line that has the cute browser command to open the message in cute browser uh, and if it does not have that so else uh, it'll echo the line that uses w3m to open um, mail cap so that means if I run a lot alot um, when I open messages they'll open in the terminal and convert it into plain text um, even when they're HTML um, uh, messages and if I do alot space hyphen X and I run it like that then I'll, I'll get a lot the same way but when I open a message it'll open a cube browser window and show me the message there and you know it'll render it nicely there um, the only thing I've seen so far that's, that still doesn't render right um, is this um, message from the US Postal Service that I get every day with the with the, the, the mail that I'm gonna get um, today it doesn't um, it doesn't show the images for some reason when I open them in in cube browser yeah I think that's about it so um, this was my first episode of Hacker Public Radio I hope it made sense um, please leave a comment if there's anything that didn't make sense um, also leave a comment if you know of a better way to do any of this 
Um, sorry that it's uh, so much of it is in Python. Um, uh, that's for black kernel. So, um, and yeah, so the other day I sent uh, an email uh, message to the um, Hacker Public Radio um, newsletter, and I had the honor of having it read by Dave Morris in the, um, in the community news later on. Uh, so yeah, DNT is actually, it doesn't really uh, originally stand for do not translate. It comes from my name, actually. Um, but when I created the email account, uh, it wouldn't let me do um, just three letters. So I uh, decided to type out do not translate, which is uh, an acronym. Uh, usually it's written as DNT a lot of times. And I work with uh, local software localization. So uh, DNT is kind of a, um, it's a, it's a sadly common to have uh, monolingual um, developers or UX designers or whoever uh, just decide that something should not be translated. DNT, they'll write. Um, and then, yeah, it's uh, if you're a support agent trying to help a customer in, uh, in another country, non-English speaking, and then all of a sudden you run into some a monstrous do not translate word that's like a oh it's a feature name or or you know whatever whatever ridiculous reason um let's not translate it let's just throw these english words at people so uh yeah it's something that kind of uh irritates um, me and i suspect others who also work in localization um should always let the you know um, people in the countries um, or at the very least people with language knowledge decide what should or shouldn't be translated um, Anyway, so do yeah do not translate is fine though. Um, I'll go by DNT here and that'll be just fine uh, So yeah later I'll have a look at my uh, other episode that I already recorded about porridge Maybe it'll become one of the emergency shows. Hopefully it'll never be posted in the main feed uh, and I'll, I'll try and uh, put out some other stuff too um, thanks everyone. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR is kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.